Good morning, City Life Church. Good morning, good morning, 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 morning to all of you. So grateful to see you again. Well, I can't see you. So great to be up here again. Um, I wore my puppy shirt today because it's raining cats and dogs out there. Just a little dad joke out there for all of you. Um, but good morning. So grateful to have this space um, that you're tuning in that you're listening to this, that you're invested, and that you want to hear more about Jesus. That's why we're here today. Uh, I'm Pedro Reese, if I have not met you yet, and I'm the lead pastor here at City Life. And before we jump in, like, like I do every week, um, because I still get emails about people who are like, hey, I've been coming around, but I haven't introduced myself. Uh, do that. Below, in the notes section, there's a link to our I'm New page. And uh, we just want to connect with you. We're preaching about Jesus meeting people at the table, right? And so, like, let's go get a cup of coffee together. Let's go have dinner together or something. Um, that's what we're passionate about, about, like, connecting with one another as we pursue Jesus, like, for Jesus' sake, to grow the church, to grow deeper in our walk with Jesus. And so, uh, fill that form out for you. And I'll personally reach out to you this week because we want to connect with our city, connect with anyone who comes through our doors. Uh, and so that's what we're passionate about. That's what we feel called to do. And so give us the opportunity to do that with you. And so to start today's sermon, I'm going to like, I don't know if I've ever actually talked really that much about this. I might have, but it was years ago. Um, in 2012, I started seminary. And it was like the first time in my life that like I actually was doing things, like actually trying and risking things for Jesus, like spiritual things. Right, I've talked about my time in Chicago, and in Chicago I learned so much, and I did so much, but that was like, uh, in my head at least, it was like, oh, this is non-profit work, right? This is a non-profit world. Like, yeah, sure, like I'm being got Jesus' hands and his feet, right? But I wasn't like really challenging myself to pray with people. I wasn't like concerned with praying about healing and like, and like oppression and stuff like that. I was just like, I'm just here to be Jesus' hands and his feet, right? That's a common term we use. And then, like, in seminary, my world was rattled because I had professors who were, like, would teach us about healing and, like, casting out demons and, and just, like, inner healing prayer and stuff like that. And then at the end of classes, they would always be like, okay, let's do it. Like, let's practice. And I was like, my mind was blown. I remember the first time, like, in one of my classes, the professor addressed healing. And then they were like, okay, let's pray. Who needs prayer? And I was like, what? Like, what? Like, like, I know this isn't the Bible, but what, like, we can actually like, do these things. And so like, I was thinking about that, and the first time I really took on an ambitious project like in ministry for the Lord was um, shortly after. I, I was, in the, was one of the campus pastors at Nyack College in the Rockland campus, and they asked me to lead the school's mentoring program. It was called PAVE. Everyone in their first semester at Nyack was put in a PAVE group, and they were mentored for a semester just to like, not be alone, to not be lonely, to have other friends at, at the college. And I remember when I was asked, like, I knew how big it was, and like, I said yes, which went against all of my instincts, but I said yes. And that was like some of the most stressful times in my life. Like, I, back then also, just like my natural state was anxiety. Like that, like governed everything about me. 
And I was like so nervous and anxious. It was the biggest project I had ever taken on. Like in the incoming, the incoming class in the fall semester had like hundreds, like close to a thousand students. And every single one of them needed a mentor, not one-on-one, -on -one, but like in group settings. And I was like, oh, like I need almost a hundred, I need about a hundred mentors. And I panicked, I was freaking out. And like constantly I was faithless in that journey. Like constantly I was questioning like, like God, like I can't do this. You're not gonna do this. Like, like I'm being honest, very little of me in that time was faithful. Right? I was doing it, I said yes, and I was showing up, but I did not believe God could do it, being honest. And it was, a, it was like a lot of things were unhealthy about me in that season, because I was panicking all of the time. Like I, I even remember this one time, it was like really sad for me to think about, like I got so distraught, I just like started hitting myself, and like instantly as I was doing it, I felt like this is wrong, I need to like, Something needs to change. This is not okay. I cannot do this to myself. And I started to go on walks. Like that was my strategy. Like every time I felt that panic come up, I would go for a walk and I would pray. And like really in that time, I was really, I was just one, asking one question over and over and over again. Every time I walked, it was like this one question that was governing like what I was talking to him about. And I was like, God, who will do this with me? Who's going to do this with me? Right? Like, it's silly to think about, it's like, okay, like, I need to recruit 100 people. And, like, it's silly looking back at it now, but, like, it was, it was a serious struggle. I was like, God, who's going to do this with me? Right? This is my name. This is my reputation. Like, I, I want to start the first major project that I ever have in life, like, and I'm failing. Like, I, I, like God's like, am I not cut out to do this? Like, it, like, Lord, is the rest of my ministry career over? And I was like, like God, who's going to do this with me? is what I asked him over and over and over again. Who is going to do this? And then I remember one day, and I prayed for, oh, sorry, for, I prayed for this for a while. Like it, this was weeks and months. It's not like the answer came quickly. But one day I was out walking, and I just like f felt like stopping. I, was, I stopped exactly where I was. I was near my mailbox, and I looked down. And I lost half of this, but I've kept this since. Like I looked down, I was like, God, who will do this with me? And I looked down on the ground and there were those, you know, like those word magnets that people put on fridges to leave notes or just to be silly. Uh, I, I found two and it said, they, this one says they will and the one I lost said they will together. And like after that day, after that walk, I started getting emails and emails and emails of people saying, okay, like, Pedro, I thought about this. I prayed I'll do this. Like, yeah, I'll be a mentor. Yeah, I'll be a mentor. And, like, from that day on, like, it really changed. And I've, like, taken that lesson and I've put it in a really intimate place in my heart because I was so stressed out. And I don't understand, like, why God took so long according to what I wanted. Like, I would, want it, I would have wanted to cut out those months of stress, right? But he was teaching me. He was taking me by the hand and teaching me a valuable lesson, one that I still like think about almost daily in, when I'm at this job is like, they will together. And I learned this lesson, that when Jesus brings something into my life, right, when Jesus calls me to do something, when Jesus, to put it in terms of this sermon series, when Jesus is at the head of the table, when I'm at his table, 
and I'm not just like giving him a seat at my table. When I'm at his table, Jesus always provides. Through the struggle, through the waiting, through the doubting, through the faithlessness, putting one foot in front of the other, Jesus always provides. That our testimonies, our walk as Christians is that like we belong to this Jesus who always provides for me. Though it's not always the way I would like it to look, and it's almost never on my timing, when Jesus is at the head of the table, I am provided for. I am satisfied. And so today, we are continuing our open table sermon series, looking through the Gospel of Luke to see how Jesus' heart for everyone who is poor and blind and broken and sinful, which is every single person who has ever lived, like Jesus' heart is for those people, the people who know that they need him. And Luke specifically like brings it like one meal at a time. Every time Jesus went to the table, the kingdom came and Jesus embodied the kingdom and brought the kingdom in one bite at a time. But today we're going to look at a different type of meal. We're going to look at an interrupted meal and we're going to look for the first time in Luke at when Jesus is the host of the meal and not one of the guests. And so let's pray. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to come for the reading of His Word so that like this isn't just me rambling for however long I'm going to do this for, but it's like that the Holy Spirit is like empowering us and our reception of God's Word. And so uh, please pray with me. Jesus, uh, Holy Spirit, I invite you into this time. Like I, I just like... Lord, we just need this to be you-driven, you-centered, your gospel. Look at this story that happened all those years ago. You provided for thousands of people. When you're the host of a meal, you always come through. No matter where we are, no matter our plans, like Jesus, when you're the host of the table, we're always satisfied. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, I just like uh, ask for you to bring that into our hearts, to teach us this anew and afresh, and like just let it go into more intimate places in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do what you plan on doing today. And we love you. I give you all these things. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we are going to be in Luke chapter 9. Continuing in looking at Luke and looking at all these meals, we turn to Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 10. And God's Word says this. Remember, this is a story that like, actually took place in this world. It says this. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came, to, came and said to him, Send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. He, they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. 
and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. Today we're going to do things a little differently. Instead of three really nice points, we're, just gonna, we're going to look at this story and we're going to learn some valuable lessons. But first, like, let's catch us up to where we are in Luke, like we have been, right? Because this is all one continuous story about the life of Jesus. Since last week in chapter 7, like, Jesus has been doing very Jesus-y things, like he always does. He, like, is helping all of the, like, people who cannot benefit from him. He's teaching lessons right now. He starts teaching in parables. And he says that like one of the purposes of the parables are that so that some won't understand because like he's only after those who are truly searching for him. And anyone who's really searching for him will find him. Or like, Jesus, like what? Like, well, okay, that's a bit confusing, but sure. And then he's like doing Jesus-y things. He teaches more lessons like about a jar and a lamp. And then like he just casually calms a storm, right? He speaks to it, like, and they listen, like the storm listens to him. And then, like, he casts out more demons, right? You know, very Jesus-y things. And then at the end of chapter 8, like, it's like powerful, powerful encounters. Jairus, a religious leader, comes up to him. He's like, my daughter, she's dying, come, right? So, like, being a religious leader, there were some who got it. There were some who looked to Jesus and got it, right? So it's not everyone, all of the religious leaders, right? We cannot be cynical. We can't judge people because we don't know what's happening. And on the way to Jairus' daughter, the woman with the issue of the bleeding, right? The lady who bled for 12 years touches a very specific part of Jesus' clothing. And she's healed and he's like, well, who touched me? And we're like, uh, everyone's touching you, Jesus. What are you talking about? And then he talks to this woman. They have this beautiful exchange. Her faith makes her whole. And then Jesus goes and he like helps Jairus' daughter. Just so like beautiful. And then this story comes along today. And actually it's really special. Because it's the only miraculous event that every four, all four Gospels record. It's the only miraculous event that all four Gospels say like, the world needs to know that Jesus fed 5,000 people. Like this, the, the world needs to know that Jesus provided for all these thousands of people with almost nothing. Like the world has to know. And so let's look at the story. Like let's set the scene because like this isn't just a story. This isn't a myth. This isn't a legend. This actually happened. And so let's see, like let's put ourselves in the story. Right? Our story today is a continuation of where chapter 9 begins. Chapter 9 begins with Jesus doing something really special. He gives authority and power to his disciples, and he sends them out. He sends them out to do, verses 1 and 2 say this, like he gives them authority, and he gives them power to cast out demons and to heal everyone who's sick. And then he says, he's like, go out and to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal everyone who comes up to you. And then today, and they do it, he gives them a little bit more instructions. And then they come back to him, and verse 10 is them coming back. Like, I, I already talked about my excitement in, like, early on in my seminary career. Like, when I, like, people were telling me, like, oh, we can actually do this today. And, like, I remember praying for people and feeling, like, and, like, getting words for people. And I remember being like, like, God, like, what? Like, 
God can do this through me. Like, this is real. This is possible. These aren't just stories, right? And I remember my excitement, and I cannot even imagine what it must have been to, been, to be one of these disciples. Like, coming back to him, is like, Jesus, like, we saw you could do this. But we're like, wow, this is crazy. Like, your power and your authority, like, we can do this too. Like, ugh, like, mind-boggling. When it, like, when you have these encounters, you can relate. Like, it's mind-boggling that God can use you. And so they're coming back and they're so excited. And then Jesus, like he does in his own private life, right? Whenever big, amazing things happen, he withdraws. He has some solitude and he's like, okay, like, disciples, come. Let's withdraw to a town called Bethsaida. But something really important happens. The crowds learn of this. Like, the crowds figure out where Jesus is going and thousands upon thousands of people show up. Because that's what happens around Jesus, right? People want to be near him. And so they show up here later on. We read that about 5,000 men were there, verse 14. And commentators today say that's like it's conservative. It's realistic to expect that uh, these 5,000 men, like they only counted men in big crowds. And so it's realistic to expect that anywhere from 10 to 25,000 people were present here. Like, like, let's let that sink in for a moment. It's not just like, oh, this like little group, this little gathering here is like, what, like 10 to 25,000 people in a field to be near Jesus, just to be near him. And Jesus' plans here were interrupted by all of these thousands of people. But you know what? Jesus was okay with that. His plan was to retreat with his disciples, and everyone showed up. And here in the ESV says that he welcomed them. But the NLT, the New Living Translation, says that he was happy for them. And so he took them in, he changed his plans, and he started to heal everyone who, was, who needed of it. And he t- was telling everyone about the kingdom of God, right? Like God's plans. Jesus' plans can be interrupted. And then, like, we hear the disciples are like, oh, like, oh gosh, like, 25,000 people, and Jesus was ministering to everyone who needed it, it says. And then, like, the day is getting, like, it's coming to an end, right? The end of the day is quickly approaching, and in a world with no Airbnbs and no fast food, they're like, like, the disciples are like, like, Jesus, like, what's going on here, man? Like, we need to, like, send them away so that they can go get food. Like, people are getting hangry. Or send them away, like, to find a place to stay, right? And I, I don't think they had malicious intent here, but they're just, like, looking, being practical, Right, I think is how I see this, and then Jesus, being so Jesusy, he's like, "Well, give them something to eat." Just like, I have learned something already. I'm never gonna cast judgment on the disciples because I think we would have been way worse. Like, I would have been way worse. I would have rolled my eyes at this. I would have been confused. I would have been angry. I think I would have been a lot of things. Like, go feed them. And I was like, dude, like Jesus, take a look around, man. We have nothing. Very specifically here, they say at the end of what they say, is like, this is a desolate place. Like, there's nothing here. We have nothing. It's like, actually, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus. Like, what do you want us to do with that? And so, like, I've learned, I'm not, I like, I'm done throwing stones at the disciples because I know I would have been way worse. Like, look around, Jesus. Like, there's nothing here. This place has nothing, and we have virtually nothing. Then Jesus just, he gives them instructions. Uh, set them in groups of 50. And then give me what we do have. Jesus takes the little that they have, and he looks up to heaven, he blesses it, and he starts tearing it, right? 
just like literally just tearing it, breaking off pieces here and there, giving it to his disciples to give it to everyone else. And then and the miracle is that it never ran out. Like he kept on doing Like I try and like even just picture like seeing him rip it and then like it reappearing or like ripping it and it's ripped and then he rips from another place and then, but then there's like never runs out and he keeps on going and he keeps on going and he keeps on ripping and he keeps on passing it out. And the disciples just keep on bringing it to like what, like thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Right? I, I feel like our church is huge right now and there's like, <laughs> we're like a hundred people maybe. Like he's just passing it out and passing it out and it's just not running out. Like, like we heard stories in the Old Testament like this. Like, like I'm sure they were looking around saying like, what is happening? It never ran out. And in fact, it says that all ate and all were satisfied. And at the end, there were leftovers. One basket for every disciple to carry. Right? One basket for every disciple who rolled their eyes, like for each of the 12 disciples who rolled their eyes or who doubted or was like, Jesus, this is a waste of time or like, what's going on? Like they tangibly each held a basket that served as a testimony of what Jesus had just done. Like God's a good teacher, right? Jesus is a great teacher. Like he gave them something to hold. He gave them a visual. He gave them a weight, something tangible to feel. What in the world just happened? And every one of the Gospels carries this story. And we're like, okay, like, Lord, what does this mean? Like, man, like, this is reminding me of the desert days with the manna. This is reminding me of second, what is it, second Kings 14, I think. Second Kings 4 of when Elisha, Elisha was in this desperate need. And like, he had a lot of people with him. And somebody brought Elisha bread. And he's like, no, don't give it to me. Give it to the men. And he's like, no, but... Like, this is all we have. And he said, give it to the men, there will be leftovers. And they're like, this isn't enough. And he says, give it to the men, and there will be leftovers. And there were. Like, we see this come back in Jesus. Like, like the widow who Elijah saw, and like her oil and her lamp never ran out. It's like, like, Lord, what are you doing here? And so let's look at some lessons that we need to learn from this story today. Like, t- today is different. Today is very different from the other sermons that we've looked at, from the other stories that we looked at. You know why? Because like, this is the first meal in Luke where Jesus isn't an invited guest, but he is the host of the meal. Yeah, though interrupted, right? Though maybe not foreseen, right? Well, I mean, let's think about that ethically. Like, wow, okay. I'm sure he knew, but like, oh, like, to us, interrupted in a desolate place. And Jesus feeds thousands of people. So, like, what, what does that mean for us? Like, how in the moments of struggle, of, like, real struggle, and, I, like, we only really learn this when we're hungry. Like, we only learn these lessons when we're, like, really desperate. Like, sure, we can learn it now. We put it in our heads, but it goes in our hearts, like, when we know, like, that we need this type of provision. What do we learn in this story? The first one, for lesson number one, is that interruptions are okay. Right? The disciples were coming back, and I'm, they were amped. They were so excited. Like, what? Like, Jesus, like, this is incredible. And Jesus is like, let's withdraw. Let's go to Bethsaida. And then all these people show up, thousands upon thousands of people show up, and Jesus is okay with it. 
right? He's welcomed in the ESV. He's welcomed. I think I already said this. And then in the NLT, it says that he's happy that they're there. And he starts preaching to them about the kingdom of God. And he heals all of them. And then he feeds all of them. And like, let me just say today that like, in an interruption in your life, in your plans, and the things that you want to see happen, I think a lot of times when our plans are interrupted, it's God bringing us something or bringing us somewhere that we didn't know we had to be. Interruptions can be holy. Like interruptions can be like a faithful God telling you, expanding you, saying like, stop, like, no, this is like not the way to go. Or like, I have a different plan for you. Or like, I love you. I'm your shepherd. And so I'm doing something else. I'm starting something new. I'm stretching you. Like something old has to go. Interruptions at times can be the holiest thing that God can do for you. Jesus welcomed this interruption because he saw the people and he like instantly just started to love them and to serve them. When your plans are interrupted, when life isn't going the way you want, like in the moments where you know that you're desperate, like, like Lord, and you're angry and you're like genuinely angry, let me just say, look for God because that could, he could be all over that. Interruptions in your plans can be holy moments. Interruptions in your life can be when God is like doing something miraculous. And so be okay with being interrupted. Our plans are great and it's good to count the cost, right? We're taught that, but like if Jesus is the head of your table, the head of your life, the head of your soul, the head of what you're doing, the head of like the direction your life goes in, let him interrupt you. Lesson number two is that if Jesus is the host of the table, that life can happen in desolate places. Right? The disciples here, like they say expressly, like, Lord, look around. There's nothing here. This is a desolate place. Like, there's no life here. This is like, we can't sustain all these people here. And Jesus is like, you know what? I sustain all these people here, not what we, well, not what we have access to. Life can happen in the places, in the seasons of your life where you're like, this is, this is done. There's no way out. I am so anxious. I am so panicking. Like, Lord, like nothing good can happen here. I've said that to my, in my life many times. I'm like, Lord, nothing good can happen right now. And every time my life is a testimony that like, yeah, like God can provide that if I like stay faithful and stay near to him, like God will provide. Too many of our stories, mine included, is like God doing things that were impossible in impossible situations. Like me being a U.S. citizen, like people told us that would be impossible. Like us living in this, like look, like that's, that would be impossible. Like being where I am, having kids, like loving the job that I have, I. I thought that was impossible. God made a way. He makes a way. It's never, it's almost never in my timing. And it's like, like rarely looked the way I expected it to. But God makes a way in all the desolate places. God makes a way when there's like, when I see no way out. Lesson number three is that when Jesus is the host of the table, his, Jesus' instructions, no matter how bizarre, are good. Right? To this day, we don't understand why Jesus told them to put people in the groups of 50. 
Like this is something that has like been kind of lost to us in really understanding. Right? There are a lot of theories out there. Some people write, oh, this is like a military term. He's like organizing his armies, right? And like some make more sense than others, but like we don't really know why he did this. Like it's still a question mark to this day. It doesn't change the effectiveness or the meaning of this, but like we don't know why Jesus said this. We don't know what the real purpose is. We can't definitively say that. But you know what? His instructions were good because it produced good things. And so I'm here to say to you, like, if, if you feel like God is telling you to do something, it just seems odd, right? It's just bizarre. Like, I'm not talking about the things that are clearly contrary to Scripture, clearly contra- contrary to, like, God's nature. Like, that, like, like, that's the enemy. He tries to get us to do things all the time. But if God is saying something to you, like, go pray for that stranger. Like, drop $5 in that basket. Like, go talk to your boss, Go talk to the neighbor who hates you and that, like, you cannot stand. Like, if he's giving you weird instructions like that, do it. Because you don't know what's coming on the other side of that. Like, it might just be for you to taste embarrassment a little bit, which is okay. It might be for you to, like, be humbled a little bit. It's okay. It might be for you to, like, have a couple of experiences where you come out of it feeling like, oh, I dropped the ball, and that's okay. Because God's instructions are good to you. He, when he tells you to do things, it's to produce good things, right? The disciples are like, what? Like, okay, this doesn't make sense. But sure, we'll do it. And blessings came. Which leads us into lesson number four. Is that if Jesus is the head of the table, like you'll experience blessing. It'll come. You'll be around Jesus blessing things in your life. This has nothing to do with the prosperity gospel, right? Because we need to match this with our suffering servant. We need to match, like, at the very end of this story, he teaches them for the first time that he's going to die, right? Literally, a couple verses later, it's his first time where he predicts his death. And so this has nothing to do with prosperity, but, like, you'll be around blessing. Like, you'll see miracles happening. Like, you, like, will be around people experiencing miracles. And it's like, oh, like, this is good. Like, I, there's a part of all of our hearts that I know we long for that. It's like, bless, Lord. Like, I just want to be around blessings. I want to hear stories and testimonies. Like, that fills my heart and my soul. Like, if, you, if Jesus is the head of your table, you'll be around blessings. And then there were two results to this story. Like, two, these lessons come into with two results. Two things come out of whenever Jesus is at the table like that are universal, things that like we have said now and that are much more than just like passing statements or a nice sentiment, right? That, Jesus, that if Jesus is the head of the table, if like you're at his table and you're eating what he's serving, is that you'll always have enough to eat and that there will always be leftovers. Right here, the story says that all ate, verse 17, the last verse here says, and they all ate and were satisfied. Like everyone, like up to 25,000 people, thousands and thousands of people showed up here and they had nothing and they all left satisfied. They all ate enough. Like somehow in Jesus, there was enough for everyone. No one was turned away. No one was denied. There was no scarcity. There was no poverty. Like in their poverty, there was enough. There was enough. 
And so, like, I'm not here to say, like, all of your life situations, they're going to be okay, right? Because some of them are going to really hurt you and wound you. And some of them you're going to feel like failures. And there are going to be seasons where you're, like, looking for, you feel like you're looking for God in the dark, right? But let me tell you something. You put one foot in front of the other. You have Jesus at the head of your table. And you will always have enough to put the next foot in front of the other to, like, go after the next bite. And you will always, like, experience leftovers. Like, though it will, like, never, almost never look the way we envision it to. Jesus promises in this story that he, like, he knows how to satisfy you. He knows how to give you leftovers. He knows how to teach you lessons, right? Just like the disciples, like, each one of them held a basket at the end to weigh in their hands for them to feel their doubt to, for them to feel their, like, questioning their faithlessness, like, for them to just, like, touch and feel what God, what Jesus produced on, in that desolate place, like, to just shock them, to just, like, like, how? To just give them more questions, like, who is this? I know Jesus does that in our lives. He does it all the time in my life, and I hear stories of him doing it in, in like, so many people's lives. Like when Jesus is the host of the meal, right? Not like Levi's meal. Not like the uninvited, unnamed uninvited woman last week. Like when Jesus is the host, no one is turned away, no one is excluded, everyone is welcomed, and everyone is satisfied. And so let's conclude this a little bit today. Like let's try and make this a little bit more tangible for us. Up until now, like, I, we've been speaking really metaphorically about the table, about what it means. Like, like put Jesus in your life. Like, yeah, sure, like, every sermon is about that. But, like, I just want to make it a little more concrete this week. Like, I, I want to tell us all that, like, every single person in the world has access to three tables. Like, we really have three tables. We're called to, to like, look over three tables. The first one, the most private and the most intimate, is your soul. Right? When we speak metaphorically about the table, like we're also like speaking about your soul. Like everything that accompanies being you, all of your experiences, like your woundings, your feelings, like who you really are, who you really think that you are, like all of that is like this table that like we bring before the Lord and say, like, Lord, like, what's going on in your soul? And, like, my question is, like, is Jesus head of your, like, even this most private table? Be like, 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 Lord, like, I hear these stories, and I want to have this relationship with you. Like, even in my own soul, before I ever leave, just this. Like, lead this. Be in charge of this. Like, hey, look, Lord, if you're the host of this, I know you will satisfy me. Before I ever talk about anyone else or leave my private space or like leave my most inner thoughts like Jesus like heal me save me even like from me be the head of my soul tell me who I am like lead me into knowing who you are and I'll know myself because I only will know myself when I really know you and then the second table we all like have is our life the table of our life 
And like if you picture it like the, your friends, the people you fill your life with, the things that you do, your job, your career, your family, your downtime, your hobbies, what you like, what you do in private, like all of like your life, what do you do? Like this is your second table, right? This is like how you fill your days. Acts 17 says that I like got ordained everyone's days to be lived when they're lived, to be lived where they're lived. And I'm like, like, oh, Lord, like that's a huge claim. But like, Lord, I have this life. And so what am I doing with it? Like I can like look at it as this table. And I'm like, Jesus, I don't know if I'm just in my own table, if I, like I have to give you a seat in it or if like, like, Lord, I want to make you the head of my table. Like, Lord, I want you to be in my life. And like when I have to make decisions, I want it to be prayed. Like how many of us like don't have time for God? Like, to me, that's even the most basic thing. Like, some of us get to the end of the day every day, and we're like, man, like, I didn't even pray once because I had no time. And like, little church, like, let me just, I love you. That's not good enough. If you have no time for God, do you, like, is he your God? Like, where is Jesus at the table of your life? And then when we hear the gospel, when we hear about Jesus, our last great table, well, not the last, but our next big table, our great table that we're called into is the church. Like you hear Jesus, you say yes to him, and now you're a part of this family. And all of us come together because we're called to, right? Because every time Jesus talks about pursuing God, shortly after he talks about pursuing life with one another, and so, like, we have this third table in our lives. And so, like, what are we doing in the church? Like, how are we really being the church? Like, I know, like, we're tired of Zoom. I hate Zoom. But it's, like, what we have right now. And so, like, am, like, am I showing up at MCs? Or am I, like, showing up on this service and, like, not saying anything? Like, like which is okay most of the time. But it's like, oh, man, if I, am I just, like, really here to cons- consume? Or am I a part of the church? And I am, am I serving the body even if I have to be away, like even if I'm preaching to our online crowd, like, yeah, that's okay, but like, let's serve the body. Like, let's, let's promote the church. Like, let's bring people and invite people into this table that like we benefit from or else like, why are you coming? It's like, Lord, like, I, we need you at the center of this church. Like, we need you at, this, at the head of this table to be leading us. It's, like, it's not the Pedro show. It's not the Ryan show. It's not the oversight team. It's not our MC leaders. No, it's like, like, Holy Spirit, be here every time that we're together. Like, make this church do what you have called us to do. And so, like, the simple question for us this week is, like, to examine these three tables that we each have, starting with the most intimate and then going to the church. Like, our souls. Like, Jesus, like, only you know the answer to this question. Like, is Jesus really at the table of your soul? Or you like, we play church because that's what you've always done. It's the only thing you know, or you want to make friends. Like, there's a lot of questions. Like, is Jesus the head of your soul? It's like, is Jesus the head of your life? And then it's like, I pray. It's like, is Jesus the head of this church? Which, like, I pray, and we have many people praying for that to be true. And so, like, I, I want to be clear. Like, this isn't about condemning. Only, only Satan condemns. There's no condemnation in Christ, but there is examination. Like, let the story of the 5,000 people teach us lessons about, like, putting Jesus at the head of our table. Host, 
my life, Lord. Like, I want it to be about you and driven by you. So, church, like, I know we're going long. This is long, but um, we love you. I pray that this uh, sermon series continues to teach us, like, how to bring Jesus at the front of our lives and start off this week by, like, tangibly saying it. Like, say it with your mouth out loud. Say, like, Lord, like, yeah, you, I don't know if I put you the head of my soul. Like, teach me how to do that. Like, yeah, Lord, like, I'm so busy, and I, like, I'm doing really good things, and I'm, like, actually, like, my life, I do a lot of good, godly things, but, like, Lord, I don't know if you're at the center of it. I don't know if you're at the head of that table. Like, I don't know if everything that I'm doing, you've called me to do. And so help me, like, help discern, help me prune. And then the church, like, Let's show up when we show up and be there and like say like, Holy Spirit has something for me right now. What is it? Like, what am I here to like learn or contribute to? Like, how am I here to push the body to keep on going? So church, I love you. Like we're in a season, every season is a season of exploring this call. And so um, if you want to reach out to me, my name, my name, you know my name. My email is preese at citylifenj.com. We want to do this together. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's ask some of these questions together, and we'll get some answers. And we'll walk through this way together. This week, we have MCs. Join those. If you're not a part of one, email me or in at info at citylifenj.com, and we'll get you connected. We love you all so much, and um, we'll see each other soon. Bye.